Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Queens of Social Work podcast. I'm your co-host, Queen P. And I'm your co-host, Queen A. And we invite you all to join us this week as we share, laugh, cry, and learn through our experiences as women of color who happen to be social workers. We have a treat for you guys today. In honor of Child Abuse Awareness Month, we'll be speaking with Queen Kay, who was born in Aruba and came to the U.S. when she was four years old. Queen Kay was raised in the Boogie Down Bronx, BX, stand up. (laughs) (laughs) And when she was younger, she always knew that she wanted to work with the youth because she was an outspoken kid. And some teachers actually misinterpreted that as her being rude. On the other hand, other teachers thought that she was smart and assertive. So she understood what it was to be misunderstood. Queen Kay graduated from SUNY Albany with a BA in psychology. Following graduation, she worked as a case manager for teen mothers in foster care. This is where she fell in love with the field of social work and decided to pursue a master's degree in social work. She attended Hunter College School of Social Work, which is now the Silverman School of Social Work at Hunter. Shout out, Hunter. Yeah. Big up yourself. Okay. (laughs) And Queen Kay was enrolled in the accelerated program there. In her career, she's had the privilege to work with incarcerated male youth and is currently working with emotionally disturbed children in a school setting. So welcome, Queen Kay. Thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Queen Kay, thank you for being here. April, as you know, is Child Abuse uh, Prevention Month. And so this month, we wanted to talk to social workers who have really touched the field of child welfare or working with children and families because you know, we would be the ones really assessing for maltreatment, neglect, abuse, and, you know, contacting state central registry if we have a concern. So we wanted to really talk to, you know, a Caribbean social worker who's in the field to get your take on it. And I felt no no one better than my own friend, Queen (laughs) Kay. And how I met Queen Kay is in graduate school. We met at Hunter. Honestly, she can probably tell you a little bit more how I met because I never remember how I meet people. The only thing I remember was that I thought she was Latina. (laughs) And I think I asked her if her hair was real. (laughs) I'm not sure. I'm not sure. She could tell you better than I could tell you, but most people- That's not how it went. You said- Okay, see- I okay. like your hair, I like your curls. And I said, girl, this is a half wig. Okay. <laughs> and you just started laughing. I think you were just so surprised at how honest I was. And that's how yes. our conversation started. Bam, there you go. <laughs> just real and honest, real and honest. <laughs> so yeah, so let's kick this off and start with our first question. So Queen K. Tell us a little bit about the setting you currently work in. I know I said before it was emotionally disturbed children in a school setting, but if you could tell us more about that population and what are your credentials? Okay. Um, I'm an LMSW. I'm in the process of getting my LCSW. I have to sit for the exam. I work in a school, but I work for the state. So I don't actually work for the school. I work for a state program and it's for emotionally disturbed kids from ages five to 11. So we have three classrooms. I have three special ed teachers who are specialized in working with this population. And then there's three clinicians. So we're kind of each assigned to one class, but we do go into you know all the classes. The kids are familiar with all of us. We push in for crisis. I provide individual therapy, group therapy, 
and also support to the parents. That sounds awesome. <laughs> that sounds really awesome. Okay. Yeah, Thank you for sharing that. No problem. Yes. It's interesting. Never bored. Never bored. <laughs> and for those who are new to us and don't know what LMSW stands for, LCSW, um, LMSW is Licensed Master Social Work and LCSW is Licensed Clinical Social Worker. So this month is Child Abuse Awareness Month. Can you tell us about your experience working in child welfare? Do you have any stories, you know, you want to share? Stories. I mean, you're going to have to get a little specific because I'm sharing <laughs> those stories. Um, yes. I started out in child welfare um, working with teen moms in foster care. So that was mm -hmm. a very interesting experience for me. I was really young. I just got out of college. So I was like 22 and I was close in age to a lot of my clients. Mm -hmm. um, so that was like a challenge I think what I took from that which was like the biggest surprise for me is no matter how bad the parents treated these children right whether it was physical abuse emotional abuse or abandonment they still always really longed for a relationship with their biological parents mm -hmm. and that was like the biggest shock to me mm -hmm. I think being that young I had developed such a close relationship with these teen moms, right? So whenever I did have to interact with the bio parents, I did have a bias towards them. My director, she pulled me aside and she said, you need to realize this is a cycle. So what do you think these parents, how do you think they grew up? And mm -hmm. that really changed my perspective, you know? So those are the two things that I really took away from coming into the field. Of course, I have some crazy stories, <laughs> but those are the two things that I really like took away um, going into the field that I learned. I think, you know, that's a perfect example when you're, you know, express what your director said to you, you know, about it's a cycle. You know, we have to be mindful of it because it is a cycle. And, you know, I found working in child welfare myself being so young and close in age to some of my clients as well, you know, being almost like, oh my goodness, like these kids still want to be with their parents. I don't know if I could want to be with someone who treats me so bad, but I think once you are receptive to learning really about family dynamics and attachment and the cycles that go through generations you understand why that happened yeah. and how that happened and then you become a little bit more I don't want to say receptive or maybe patient mm -hmm. you know because I don't think it's tolerant but it's patient you understand that this is part of the journey right I think also um, even a story of as in when you had to call state central registry for a case, something that made you say, oh, no, I have to call, you know, especially in child welfare, because I'll give you a prime example and not to take too long and go diverge from what we're talking about. But I remember having to call state central registry on a foster parent because the foster parent was smoking weed in the house and the, this teen mother had a baby and I and I popped up and I caught the foster parent and I couldn't understand why the child was not staying in the home with her baby. Like she was always staying with her boyfriend and 
you know, we, her and I end up getting an argument because I'm like, girl, they're going to take this baby from you because you're not staying where you're supposed to be. And she's like, she didn't want to tell on the foster parent. But I was like, no, you got to say something. So I rolled up on the foster parent. I started doing visits because she was telling me something was going on. And I had a little inkling something was happening, but I wasn't sure. And I rolled up the whole house was smelling like marijuana. So we made the, I forgot what the exact steps happened, but I know we had to kind of like investigate, but we suspected because the child said, so we called it into SEO and then she had to test. The foster parent had to test. Because that was OSI, right? Office of Special Investigation. And they made the foster parent test and she tested positive for marijuana because she tried to lie to me when I came to the door. <laughs> okay. And she said the neighbor. They're legalizing marijuana. I wonder how this is going to affect everything. Oh, that's a whole other talk. <laughs> hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a whole other conversation. Okay. So when dealing with children and families, service provision is quite varied. On any given day, it could be one thing and another day it could be something else. In your practice as a social worker, do you consciously think about the intersection of who you are, Caribbean female social worker, and the role it plays in your service provision, if any? Most definitely. Um, I feel it plays a major role. Um, just in regards of, when I think of my clients, right? Like they come in, they're vulnerable, right? Like you have to share your personal stories and, and, and especially, you know, in a lot of cultures, you don't share your business, right? Like, so I think that when they come in and they see me, right. (laughs) And they know that I'm from the Bronx. I still reside in the Bronx. I'm from the Caribbean. That alone, I think makes them feel more comfortable. Mm -hmm. I'm not like this outsider who's judging them. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, like besides my personality and my skill set, it does kind of break the awkwardness for them. Mm-hmm. That they can see someone who looks like them mm-hmm. and see someone who understands what it's like growing up in an urban community, mm-hmm. the challenges they face. Um, you know, you was in the public school system. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, this girl can kind of get where I'm coming from and maybe she can help me. So it most definitely plays a major role. Right, right. That's so awesome. It's even the simple mm-hmm. things like knowing about like the food and the holidays that they celebrate, right? Like that's an mm-hmm. icebreaker right there, right? If I'm like, oh mm-hmm. yeah, I know about those orosones, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they're like, oh, okay, right? If if they know that you know the culture, it just makes them feel more comfortable. Off the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And more safe. Yeah. Definitely more safe. Yeah. 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 Wow. Interesting. Okay. I, I agree. I agree. As a Caribbean person, how do you marry your cultural awareness with a Western approach? Mm. <laughs> well, that's a good question. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good question. And I think that it kind of reminds me of what you just started talking about, right? When you had a call mm-hmm. state central registry. Mm-hmm. For me, it's always my last resort, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm not trying to call ACS on my parents. If I call, you know, it's because it was really like a danger, right? Like mm-hmm. I really felt comfortable about this kid going back home. Um culturally you know (laughs) 
different cultures have different ways of disciplining their children, right? Like uh-huh. even I was disciplined, right? Like uh, if I talk back, I got hit with whatever was in my mother's hand, mm-hmm. right? So, mm-hmm. And there was no one for me to call, right? I just go to my bed and go to sleep. But I think that with Western culture, and not just Western culture, but just, you know, being knowledgeable and knowing what is discipline and what is abuse, right? Mm-hmm. In some cultures, they'll have their children kneel on rice. I think that's abuse, right? Mm-hmm. So it's really kind of like educating the parents. Yes, I know you were raised this way, but how did you feel when it happened? Do you mm-hmm. think that it was right? So I think that's how I combine the two because a lot of it is ignorance, right? If they, if they were mm-hmm. raised this way, how else would they raise their children? Mm-hmm. So I think that's how I combine. I think understanding the cultural aspects, especially in the Caribbean culture, you don't disrespect your elders. Yeah. And that was big for me too, right? Like I'm very outspoken. So even mm-hmm. as a kid, you know, I had a lot of issues in school, mm-hmm. right? Because if a teacher told me something I didn't agree with, I let him know. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> there was plenty of times where my desk was moved all the way. I'll never forget. They would move my desk to the front. I would sit by myself. <laughs> in mm-hmm. front of, yeah, because I was so outspoken, right? But then in every school that I had, I always had, like, for whatever reason, an assistant principal who would come and intervene, and they really took to me, right? They didn't look mm-hmm. at me as rude. They just felt like, okay, she's assertive, you know? So mm-hmm. I think it's just understanding the culture, but at the same time, educating them, right? Like, these mm-hmm. things are not okay. Some forms of discipline are okay. But again, there's a difference between discipline and abuse. I agree. I agree. I think that's the hardest thing because I I shouldn't say the hardest thing, but it's a difficult thing because we are raised a certain way. There's certain things that we're not supposed to be. We're not supposed to be in grown folk business, right? Um, You know, it's yes, mommy, no, mommy. You know, how you answer the phone is a certain way. And I think when you work in the field and especially child welfare, mental health, and you see when kids come in for certain things, sometimes it's a, I don't want to say a battle, but there's some conflict inside because it's like, all right, now this person spanked their child with a belt, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe it was just a belt, just one. Mm -hmm. And they may have gotten in trouble, but there's people beating their kids any kind of how. Like, you're like, is that really... Abuse. why they should be there yeah like and 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 we know okay the rules right below the neck mm-hmm. with no objects open hand right we know that that's the rule spanking is allowed in that regard right but other forms of corporal punishment are not right so it's like you said it's educating the parents even when i worked in uh preventive So Mm -hmm. preventing, right? We're trying to prevent kids from coming into foster care, right? And trying to educate parents on ways to parent because the idea is being firm. That's really what our parents did instill, right? They were firm. They meant what they said. Yes, you would get spanked. But the, the thing is, you knew that they meant it. 
And I think that's something that's lost and that's how we were raised, right? Our parents meant what they said. This is very true. So do your clients know that you're from the Caribbean? Do you share that part of yourself or do you keep it under wraps? Why or why not? They most definitely know. (laughs) I do not keep it under the wraps. I'm proud of where I come from. I'm proud of my culture. I'm proud of where I grew up. So it is definitely no secret. Um, as a social worker, there's certain things you should not share, right? Like, I think you shouldn't really share your age. Um, and then you definitely don't want to share anything that you feel like maybe a, a client will use against you in the future. Mm-hmm. Like maybe they get mad or, mm-hmm. but I think some form of personal disclosure is very important. Um, one personal thing that I do share with my clients is that I didn't grow up with my father. I think Unfortunately, a lot of my clients, they don't have their fathers present and it makes them feel abnormal. Like they feel Mm -hmm. like they're the only ones. So I always share that with them. And I always Mm -hmm. tell them to appreciate the love that they do have, you know, in their life and that the love that they're receiving from us, their staff. So, Mm -hmm. no, it's definitely no secret about where I'm from or where I come from. (laughs) So I'm always very open about that piece. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Are you a Caribbean American? Are you looking for a podcast that truly speaks to your culture and identity? Look no further than Carry On Friends, the ultimate destination for all things Caribbean American. Hosted by me, Carrie Ann. Dive deep into topics such as culture, heritage, and everyday life through the unique lens of the Caribbean American experience. You'll walk away feeling more connected to your roots. Follow and listen on Apple Podcasts so you'll never miss an episode of Carry On Friends, the Caribbean American experience. Your Caribbean American community awaits. That's really good. Okay. And so because you are open with that, Mm -hmm. I'm going to ask how you navigate Western mental health diagnoses, for example, schizophrenia. Mm. With Afro-Caribbean beliefs, whether that's spiritual or cultural, you know, we have things like Obia and in other cultures, they call it like other things. There's voodoo, there's all kinds of stuff. And so how do you navigate what one would consider schizophrenia with something that one would consider completely spiritual or completely cultural? Or that's even a- depression and anxiety, like those. That this is true. That. Right. That's such a hard question because... Just in general, right? Like even, because schizophrenia is a whole nother level, right? Like that's one of the most serious mental health diagnoses you can have. Mm -hmm. But just let's talk about depression and anxiety. That's very common among African-Americans and Hispanics. And culturally, a lot of families believe you either, you know, use religion, whatever your religion is, Mm -hmm. you know, like, or if you believe in God, like that's what's gonna take care of that depression and anxiety. Also, you're supposed to be, you know, like speaking for myself, you're supposed to be a strong black woman, right? So like, you don't get depressed, right? Like you, mm-hmm. you just be strong. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's so important that our community knows it's okay to get help, right? And it's okay to talk about these things there's nothing wrong with being strong I mean that's what we want for our clients we empower them but everyone needs help right Mm -hmm. so it's so hard like I have a client now 
um, this has been the most challenging culturally, I feel, because with most of my clients, I feel like I pretty much get them and I'm able to break through to them. But this client, she's from Sierra Leone. Mm-hmm. So she's seen a lot of horrible things, you know, mm-hmm. like people getting their hands chopped off. Oh, yeah. She's been through a lot of trauma. Uh, the son has ADHD, right? Mm-hmm. And he clearly needs medication. There's some kids who you don't need medication and medication is not our first line, right? But he needs medication. He's too hyper. He's really smart. He has a lot of potential. And it's been so challenging working with her because anytime mm-hmm. I try to explain to her ADHD, the diagnosis, her response to me is always like, I'm praying about it. It's in God's hands. If mm-hmm. I talk to her about a program that I think would benefit her child, I'm praying for the best program for my child. So this is like the first case that I've ever had where I really don't know how to help this parent because everything I try, she just shoots back to me, God's going to take care of it. So it's been such a challenge for me Um, and our team. We really don't know how to help her. And this is the first time, like I said, in my career where I felt like culturally I'm blocked and I don't know how to help this client. So what happened when you guys had the conversation about like, maybe God sent me? (laughs) Yeah, that's exactly where I was going. (laughs) Yeah, like, you know, God puts people in people's paths for a reason. Hello, Mm -hmm. I was sent by the divine. What's going on? (laughs) what happened what'd she say like she will say like she'll she'll thank me so much and she'll you know she'll god bless me. you and yeah, god bless you i'm so thankful for you yeah but she's she's not getting the medication piece at all at all mm-hmm. and at this point i've been thinking about like trying to find outside agencies who maybe will be better able to help you, mm-hmm. you should go ahead social worker all right <laughs> right Listen, because I have a saying, Queen P, no. I have a saying, I don't, I don't got to be the one. Uh-huh. Right? Sometimes we get pumped up like we have to be the one that fixes this or we have to be the one that does it. And it will drive us crazy. It will run us down. And last year, Queen P will tell you, it was last year. Yes, in the beginning of last year, before COVID happened. I had an interaction with a superior and basically he threw me under the bus, like laid me out on the pavement and directed the bus to me. Didn't even try to help me up. Baby, to dry. Okay. Listen. He left you out there to be roadkill. Okay. Listen, and I want to say some few choice words, but that Mm -hmm. Negro got some karma. So anyway... (laughs) okay but in that moment when I tell you I was out I was in tears like hysterical because I had never been listen I am the go-to girl okay they asked me to do something I'm on it bam I'm here I'm making it happen and to have this happen especially when you've been called upon so many times and you make it happen and all of a sudden now you done oh you don't turn on me I realized in that moment that I don't have to be the one. I ain't got to be the one. Mm-hmm. There's so many people here and everybody has a call in. I don't got to be everything for everyone. I ain't got to be the one. If I have a patient or a client that I'm having some difficulty with, 
I'm going to call somebody else because I ain't got to be the one. Somebody else know. <laughs> somebody else know. Maybe that person is the one. I ain't got to be the one. That don't take nothing off my back because I, I know I'm skilled. It sure doesn't. It sure doesn't. Well, that's in our code of ethics too, right? Like you can, it says if you feel you're not an expert in that <laughs> particular thing that the client needs, that you can consult. Go ahead, Queen K. Coming out with the ethics. <laughs> Those who are code of okay. ethics, okay? <laughs> Listen, that's a Queen P thing because Queen P is always <laughs> quoting code of ethics, okay? <laughs> and who's she going to write up? <laughs> Ask about me, okay? Which email do you need me to send this to? I'm gonna see up everybody. Mm. <laughs> Doing her research, research. So you know, this has been a wonderful discussion. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much for being on. Of course, thank you for having me. Thank you, Queen K. We're honored. Yes, definitely. And I think that it can be difficult for us, you know, culturally speaking, you know, aligning with sometimes Western way of doing things. But I think anybody who is aware, culturally aware, aware in general of themselves can do, you know, blend the two. And so thank you for giving us this example. And we really appreciate you sharing with us. Thank you. So if you guys want to connect with us on social media, you can follow us on Twitter at Queens of Social Work pod or on Instagram at the Queens of Social Work. Or if you want information on the topic we discussed today, feel free to take a look at our show notes or email us at thequeensofsocialwork at gmail.com. We'd really appreciate it if you rate, review, and follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. Thank you for listening. See you later.